In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the f- first Sunday of Nessi. It's the only Sunday of Nessi. Nessi is the last of the Coptic months. The Coptic year has 13 months. 12 of the months are 30 days long. And then the very last month is only 5 days long. And in Nessi is the Arabic word for forgotten. And they call it the little month or the forgotten month because it's like s- so small just to fill out the rest of the days of the year. And at the time of the end of the year, as we said last time, last Sunday, and also this Sunday, uh, we focus on uh, readings related to the end of the world and pre- preparing for the end of the world. And so today in, in this reading, the disciples are asking Christ about all of these signs that he's speaking about that are going to happen. They say, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And certainly there are many times in scripture where the apostles or prophets or different people are asking God or asking here um, Christ who, you know, when are these things going to happen? All these prophecies we're seeing, all these signs that you're speaking about, they're going to happen at the end of the age. When are these things going to happen? And while Christ gives an answer, he doesn't give a, a, a very direct answer like we would like. You know, if I were to ask Christ, when are these things going to happen? When is the end of the world? We would be hoping that he would give us some specific date. That this is the end of the world. And if you look all throughout history, any group of people that have ever tried to predict the end of the world, it's always been on a very specific date. On this day, this is when the end of the world is going to be. Because we want to know what is the end of the world, because we want to be prepared for it. But Christ is telling us what you need to be prepared all the time. There isn't just a specific day that I'm going to give you so that a week before you can say, you know what, now I'm going to be prepared. He says, be prepared all the time because you do not know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And so while Christ here is giving some signs and some things that might happen, there is no clear sense of, of, of when specifically these things are going to be. Also, one of the reasons why he doesn't tell us these things in, in specific detail is because we might not be able to bear the answer. For instance, you know, sometimes we, we might know when is the day of our death. But if Christ were actually to reveal to us the day of our death, maybe we wouldn't be able to handle the answer. Maybe, maybe it's going to come much sooner than we expected it to come. And when we find this out, it's going to paralyze, it's going to make us afraid. Maybe, for instance, the, 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 the people that, or the, the trials that God is going to send in our life, if we tell God, tell me all of the challenges and all the obstacles that I'm going to face in my entire life from now, maybe we wouldn't be able to handle it, right? And certainly the tribulations that are going to happen at the end of the world, It's difficult enough to read about them. It's difficult enough to know that these things are going to happen. But if we were to know very personally, what are the kind of trials that I would face? Maybe we would be so afraid and so scared we wouldn't be able to handle them. In John 16, 12, Christ says to his apostles, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You cannot bear them. You cannot withstand them. You cannot stand to hear the details of what's going to happen. Okay. Now, God never tells us the whole story from the beginning, but all throughout the story, he prepares us for the end, right? He's always preparing us for what is going to happen afterward. And, and while this is happening, we don't even know that it's happening. We don't even know that God is preparing us for what is to come, which is why when we go through difficult trials and we ask God, why are you allowing this to happen? Well, maybe he can't answer this question for us because we will understand the answer later. Later, when we go through something, then we'll realize, oh, well, God was preparing me for this all throughout my life or during a certain period of time that was a difficult, challenging time so that I could what, be prepared for this next challenge or this next event that was happening. 
So God always is preparing us for the next step and God only reveals to us one step at a time. He tells us what we need to know in the instant, in the moment, but he doesn't reveal to us his whole plan from beginning to end. And when he is speaking about the plan as a whole, he speaks in, 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 in kind of a, an ambiguous way. He doesn't, he doesn't speak in the clarity, the type of clarity that we would want for some kind of a prophecy. He speaks in a way to, to prepare us for something so we know kind of the basic outline of it, but he doesn't tell us exactly and specifically how it is going to come. One example of this, or we're going to speak about many examples. One example is the apostles. When Christ called the apostles to the ministry, you know, what, what did he tell them? He told them, come and I will make you fishers of men. Okay, he didn't, he didn't say what does that entail to be a fisher of men. He certainly didn't reveal to them that they were going to be killed, right? He didn't reveal this to them at the beginning when he first called them. He didn't, he didn't tell them, you are going to be martyred for my sake. Right? which maybe was something difficult for them to accept. Maybe they couldn't have followed him if they knew from the very beginning that they were choosing to offer their entire lives, physical lives to, to him, and that they would be killed. But later on, when they understood more what their role was, when they understood what their mission was, when they understood that after Christ would leave the world and he would ascend to heaven, that they would carry on this mission that he had begun, then he told them, because they had already understood and they had been prepared. In Matthew 24, verse 9, it says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Now he's saying it very clearly. Again, if you would have gone to the very beginning when he first called the apostles, and he told them, Then you they will deliver up to tribulation and kill you, Maybe not, you know, uh, if, 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 you know, a servant that's being called to serve in the church, if we go up to this servant and I tell him, you know what, if you accept the service, you're going to be harassed, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be ridiculed, you're going to be insulted, okay, do you accept the service? Uh, people are going to be like, no, I, I think I'll do something else, okay. But, but, but if we just offer the framework, okay, this is the challenges, the basic challenges that, that you're going to face, but I'm not going to tell you those things, those specific things, because you will never accept, right? So God does not tell us in detail, okay? But he tells us later. Another example is um, Joseph, okay? Joseph the righteous. At the very beginning of his life when he was young, he had a dream, and in this dream, it showed what? It showed that his brothers were bowing down to him. And this dream made Joseph kind of happy, right? Joseph is, uh, is special, and his brothers are bowing down to him, and his father is giving him this coat of, of many colors, and he's a very special child, okay? But what did God not reveal to him in this dream? He didn't reveal to him that he was going to be in prison for 14 years. He didn't reveal to him that he was going to be persecuted, and that people were going to lie about him, and that he was going to be running for his life, and he was going to be put in prison. It, he didn't reveal to him all the challenges, that he was going to face. He just showed him a vision of the end, right? In the end, this is what's going to happen. Your brothers are going to bow down to you, that you're going to be in authority over them. But he didn't describe this process of how he was going to get there. Christ does the same with us. He tells us what is the end. For instance, what is our goal in the spiritual life? Our goal is to become united with God. Our goal is to enjoy prayer. Our goal is to enjoy fasting. Our goal is to want to deny ourselves for the sake of our life with God. Our goal is to enjoy our time with God and to be in His presence all the time and to be aware of His presence in our life all the time. And when we think of those things, it sounds very pleasant and very nice. All of us would, would want those things. Okay? But what, what maybe we don't know is what are all the things that have to happen 
to take us from where we are now to that place, right? You know, you know, someone said, you know, if you pray for patience, what do you expect is going to happen? Is that all manner of things that is coming to try your patience and to make it very difficult for you to be patient so that you can learn patience, right? But sometimes we imagine that virtue is just going to come from heaven upon us and that it's going to be a very pleasant experience. Gaining virtue is not a pleasant experience. A lot of times it can be a very trying experience, a very difficult experience, an experience where we kind of maybe almost regret that we asked for this. Okay? But this is the process of growth in God, is that often we have to be put in such a, a, an environment, in such a place, that we are so tested to our limit, so that our limit grows, so that our, our, our capacity increases, so that our, our faith in God increases because I have no other recourse, I have no other option. You know, we, we usually are oftentimes, whenever we have a challenge, sometimes God is the last one we go to to solve it. We, we go to our mind, we go to relationships, you know, with other people that can help us solve it, or how can we solve the problem logically, we try different things. And it's only when all of those things have failed us because the problems we face are so extreme that then we go to God in a sense of desperation and say, God, I've tried everything and nothing has worked. Please, you know, fix this, help me with this. And when God responds in this case, this is what grows our faith. This is what increases our spiritual life. This is what helps us to be deeper in our understanding of God when we were forced to be in that position because we had tried everything else. And if the trial hadn't been so severe and hadn't been so extreme, maybe we would have never experienced that. We would have never grown in that faith. So, so oftentimes God tells us the end, and he says the end is glorious, the end is beautiful, the end is wonderful. He doesn't tell us all the steps that we have to go through to get to that end. Why? Because we cannot bear them now. We cannot bear them. They're too much for us to bear. If we were to be asked at the beginning of the road, are you going to go down this road? We would say, no, I don't want to go down the road. But once you're on the road, all he says is, what? You just got to do one more thing. And then we do that one thing. And he says, oh, you got to just do one more thing. And then this and then, and then, and then without even realizing it, we're being led in, in the right direction. Another example is Moses. Okay. When, when Moses was called by God to go and to speak to Pharaoh and to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, God made it sound very simple. He told him, go to Egypt and tell you to Pharaoh, let my people go. And that was all he said. And he said what in Exodus 3.12, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You know, if any one of us hears this, it's like, oh, go, tell his people, go, and then you're going to come and serve me in the mountain. And that's what God is saying. And so it's very basic, it's very simple, very straightforward. And there's no challenge, there's no, there's no pain associated with this, there's nothing. All, it's just very straightforward. And yet when Moses went to Egypt, we know that it was nothing straightforward about it. God had to send all of these ten plagues. They came out and then the Egyptians chased after them and tried to destroy them and they had to pass through the Red Sea and they were, you know, their lives were in danger and like all of these things, okay, were very difficult not only for Moses but for all the people to endure, which is called caused Moses to doubt. You know, when Moses when Moses came back to Egypt and he told the people or he told Pharaoh to let my people go, what did Pharaoh do? He doubled the work on the people. He doubled the work on them. And Moses went to God and he says, God, I came here and I did what you said. And he has not let his people go at all. And he's made things worse and harder for them. Why, why did you even send me here? Right? And we have these same experiences. Right? God gives us a promise. God tells us to do something. 
and we begin to do that thing and the outcome is so different from what we expected it to be. God tells us to go somewhere and, and we have a certain understanding of, of what will happen to me when I go to this place. And maybe what I experience is completely the opposite of what I expected to happen. Or God tells me to be in a certain relationship and that relationship, the, the, it was, it's so different from what I expected to happen. Or God asked me to accept a certain position and, and I, I'm thinking in my mind that this position is, is good and, and I'm going to be treated a certain way and I find this is completely different than what I expected to happen. And sometimes when we face these experiences, we think, you know what, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. It was a, it was a bad idea. It was a bad choice. Or I was deceived. I shouldn't have done this thing because my expectations were not met. But that's not necessarily true. I mean, again, look at the example here of Moses. God is sending Moses into a place where what happened to him was so different from his expectations, but none of us can say that it was a mistake. This is what had to happen. He had to go to Egypt. He had to face those things. And, and in the process, two things happened. One, yes, the people were free. The people were let go. But two, Moses himself changed. Moses himself changed from a person who was skeptical, a person who was you know, stubborn, slow to, to, to listen to God and to obey him, not very deep in his faith, to someone who was one of the most faithful prophets who ever to live. That, that, that the, the, the Jews would look back at him as being like the greatest prophet that they've ever had. Right? But he didn't start out like this. Moses did not start out in the status. He learned this because he had to go through this struggle and he had to go through the suffering. He had to go through this pain that he endured in order for him to get to this point. And again, if God had told him from the beginning, oh, by the way, you're going to have to, you know, uh, we're going to go through the plagues and you're going to have to cross the Red Sea and you're going to have to do this and Moses is going to try to, or Pharaoh's going to try to kill you and so on and so on. Moses definitely, he would not have agreed to go. Right? So again, he could not bear it yet. Right? And again, sometimes we cannot bear what it is God wants us to do. And so he doesn't tell us the process. He just tells us the end. Another example is Gideon. God told Gideon that he was going to have victory over his enemy. Okay? That's all he said. He says, you're fighting the, the Midianites. And Gideon is like, how are we going to fight them? And, 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 and God just tells Gideon... Uh, you're going to have victory. Don't worry. I'm going to be with you. You're going to have victory. Okay? He said in, in Judges 6.14, uh, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Okay. Give me, give me power to go overcome the Midianites. And, and in our mind, when God says something like that, when you're speaking about an army, the way you defeat armies is with a bigger army. So I believe that God is going to give me a big army. So that this big powerful army is going to go and defeat the army of the Midianites because God said so. He says, what have I not sent you? You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. But what happens in the story is that God keeps telling Gideon, let, let your army go. You know, tell the people who are afraid to go. Tell the people who drink water a certain way that they, they should leave. They shouldn't be in the army. And finally, the army is whittled down to 300 people. And with these 300 people, Gideon is supposed to go in to destroy the Midianites. It was very counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do this? Right? And again, God wants to show something. God wants to show that it is not by the size of the army that this victory comes, but it is through the presence of God with us that we have victory. So again, maybe God promises us something. Maybe God tells us to wait for him, to expect something, that God is going to protect us, that God is going to save us. When we look around at our lives, we don't see salvation. 
We don't see it even moving toward the, the path of salvation. We see things getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. And we ask ourselves, where is God? Why has he abandoned me? Why is he not doing what he promised to do? Right? But in, in, in reality, what is happening? God wants us to reach such a state where, where we cannot say that anyone else or anything else saved us except God himself. Right? When, when Gideon and his 300 men defeat the Midianites, none of them could ever say this was because we were a powerful army. None of them could say it's because we were a clever army. The only thing they could say is because God's glory, is because God was with us. Same thing with Moses and crossing the Red Sea. You know, if, if, if the Israelites found another way around, then they would have said, okay, well, we, we escaped Egypt. But crossing the Red Sea, there is no way you can say that this was because of you. Right? This is only because of God. So again, Gideon did not know the struggle that he had to face, but God is the one who, who, who was with him, and he made it known that he was with him because he said, well, you don't even need these 30,000 men. You only need 300 men. As far as the end of the world, God said, God said that we would, we would you know, see these specific signs at the end of the world. He said what in, in Hebrews 10.37, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Meaning he will not take long, he will not wait. Okay, He's telling us this, these things about the end of the world, right? as we said at the beginning. So we ask ourselves, what is, what is it that what has to happen from now until then? We don't know. We don't know what, how things are going to pan out. And, and, and from now until the end of our individual lives, we don't know what is going to happen. But God is telling us, trust me, wait on me, help, you know, because I, I will come. But don't, don't, feel that, um, you know, don't, don't feel that this is never going to happen. Because sometimes we, we feel, we imagine that our lives are unlimited or we are invulnerable or we are invincible or that nothing can stop me, and that everything that I'm doing is going to continue. And all the things that I have, I will have forever. And all the people that I know, I will know them forever. And whatever I'm doing now, I will be doing it forever. But God is reminding us always that there is an end. There is an end to everything. Are we preparing ourselves for this end or not? Okay. So, as we said, God doesn't reveal the full picture. Okay. He doesn't want to reveal to us all the obstacles that we will face so that we don't become discouraged or afraid and we decide not to follow him. Okay? He wants to strengthen our faith by placing our trust in him and not, and not ourselves or some detailed plan. You know, if, if God revealed to us a plan that was so detailed that it was like every day, this was going to happen to you. You know, every single day of our life. This wouldn't entail so much faith. We're just going to trust the plan, what the plan is saying. But when God is the only one that knows the plan and we don't know the plan, we are forced to, to just trust in him that he's driving, that he's doing the right thing. Also, God is preparing us as we go, right? God prepares us as we go. We get stronger on the road. We get stronger as we go. So we don't have to be 100% prepared from the very beginning. But as we go on this journey, on this path of our lives, God strengthen us, help us to be stronger, preparing us for more and more challenges to come, okay? Also, God wants to heal us of sicknesses that we don't know that we have, right? Usually when we ask God for something, our interest is the thing, the thing I'm asking God for, the goal that I have. But, but very often that is not God's goal. It is not that God doesn't want to give us the things that we ask for, but God wants us to have even more than that. He wants to heal us of something. He wants to fix something in us that we don't even know is broken, okay? And so 
a lot of times the path that we take to get where we're trying to go is very different from the path that we would choose. Like back to the example of Moses. Moses didn't realize that he didn't have what it takes to shepherd a million people in the desert. He didn't have what it takes, right? He, he, he was living by himself for 40 years and he wasn't ready in fullness yet. Or, or sorry, he, he, he didn't have what it takes at the beginning of his life. So, so bef- be, when he killed the Egyptian, okay, before he went to the desert, he thought it was time. He thought he was ready. He went and he tried to uh, es- essentially like start a revolt and a rebellion against the Egyptians so they could take his people and go and lead them away because he knew that, that God was going to use him for this purpose. But he didn't realize he wasn't ready yet. So God sent him into the desert for 40 years so he would be humbled, right? And even then, he still lacked something. When he began to see the miracles of God, when he began to see how God was working in him, it it changed him and made him now really be a shepherd, really be able to shepherd his people. So if, if it was up to Moses, he would have done it long ago. Same thing we ask was like, why is God taking so long to do something? Why is he not just doing it? Like, it, it just seems so clear and obvious. Let's just do this and everything will be fixed. Do this and everything will be better. Well, maybe God is trying to fix something in us. Maybe we are not ready actually for the thing we're asking him for. You know, sometimes we, we think we know what we're asking God for and we think that we're ready for it, but maybe we're not. Maybe we need more time to prepare and God knows this. So how does God speak to us? Okay, quickly. How does God speak? He speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't speak to us through giving us a document that says, here is what your life is going to look like, or here's all, everything that is going to happen to you. He speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, we walk by faith, not by sight. Meaning that we have to just believe that God is leading us into the right way. Because we have no control. We have control of very little. Okay, of, of the direction that things take. And, and that's a blessing because oftentimes when we are the ones in control, we mess everything up. Okay, we have to believe and have faith in God that he's directing us and leading us in the right path and the right, in the right direction. Just as the apostles did, just as all the prophets did, just as everyone that followed God, they did not know where this was leading them. They did not know what direction this was going to take, but they had to uh, walk by faith. And God speaks through the Holy Spirit. God is, is con- confirming us in the faith. God is telling us, okay, trust me, wait on me. These things um, are going to happen to you, but I am with you. Also, we have to have discernment to discern the power of the Holy Spirit in us. In Philippians chapter 1, it says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Right? St. Paul is, is praying that we gain discernment, that we gain understanding, okay? that we may approve the things that are excellent, meaning that our discerning spirit is in agreement with God, that what God says is excellent, we discern also to be excellent. And when God said is abhorrent, we also agree that it is abhorrent. And sometimes it's flipped. Sometimes the things that God hates is the things that we love. And sometimes the things that we hate are the things that God loves. Right? So if our sense of discernment is out of whack like that, then we'll have a very difficult time having faith in God and believing that what God does is good. Otherwise, we'll always be seeing that what God does is, is wrong and lacking and not good enough and he's waiting too long and because I lack discernment in, in the Spirit. Right? We don't have to understand what the Spirit is doing, but we have to believe that the Spirit is good, that God's Spirit is guiding us and leading us.
Finally, we have to believe that the Holy Spirit is guiding us to Him, okay? Guiding us to Him, right? That we want to be with God and that God is leading us to Him. That if we follow the path that God lays out for us, then ultimately it ends at Him, which is our goal, which is what we want. Maybe we don't realize how we're getting there, but God wants us to be with Him and the Holy Spirit leads us to Him. Like, His wisdom is not just words and facts, but the experience of a new reality right the experience of a new reality that we are walking with him and we are being enriched in our spiritual life and we are seeing things with our spiritual eyes that are different than um, what we saw before and this helps us to endure this helps us to wait till the till the end so in summary we said what god reveals his truth gradually he reveals his truth gradually not all at once to us and we are not ready to receive it all at once we have to get it a little bit at a time because otherwise we wouldn't be prepared or we wouldn't be able to endure what is it that was going to come to us. Okay, So today is the last Sunday of the Coptic year and in this Sunday we speak about the end and all of us are very interested in the end. But sometimes we forget that there is an end. We have to always remember there is an end. There is an end of the world, there is an end of me here in the world in my flesh and how am I being prepared for it and what am I doing to prepare for it and believing that whichever direction God is taking my life, it is ultimately to prepare me for this end. Even if it is in a direction that I wish I wouldn't go, I wish it wasn't taking me this way, and yet this way is blessed by God because it is leading me to be prepared for this inevitable end that will come maybe sooner than I think. So we, we ask God to always prepare us and to grant us peace in this process of preparation and that we enjoy our lives not because of what we have but because God is with us. And glory be to God forever. Amen.